You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. we're in a series. It is really, it's called Perspectives. It's looking at the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles with you today, I'd love for you to join me in Mark chapter 4. That's where we'll be at. So Bibles or Bible app, you could look at either one. Mark chapter 4 is where we'll be at. Ashley, go ahead and throw that link in there for me right about now, and that way uh, they can be caught up with us too. Thanks again, Crossroads Online, for being in with us today. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first four books of the New Testament, and they give the account of Jesus' life, his ministry, and his teachings. Uh, and we call them the Gospels. So they're, they're called the four Gospels. And Mark is one of those Gospel accounts that we have in the Bible. So what we've been doing is using Mark's Gospel account to consider the different perspectives of the people found within the text and then asking ourselves, hey, what does that teach us about Jesus? Like, what new perspective can we learn about Jesus? And perspectives are important things to have. Perspectives are what help us learn new things that we might not have known before, or maybe change some poor thinking that we had because of poor reasons that we had. And it forces us to look at things from from different angles while still grounding us in reality. So I was thinking of this, and I just thought this made a lot of sense, that, that fresh perspectives allow for fresh revelations, allows us to think differently. But in order for this to take place, we actually have to be really good students. We have to have an open mind as to what Jesus might want to teach us. And I know a thing or two about teaching because I grew up in a house full of teachers. Both my mom and dad, they were both elementary school teachers back in the massive city of Rapid City, South Dakota, where I grew up. Uh, My mom taught K, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5th grade. My dad was a 3rd grade teacher and also a PE teacher and was a high school golf coach. So I was around a lot of schools a lot of time. Uh, And I remember even like helping my mom get her room ready each beginning of every calendar year before the school started. Okay, I was in the gym basically shooting baskets the whole time. I had nothing to do with it. It didn't help her at all. But I was in the building, so I get points anyway. So I was there. But I also remember helping her to prepare some of the class materials that she would have. Like you would cut out the different sheets for math and reading and science to get those ready. Uh, And then occasionally, uh, in the middle of the year, my mom would ask me to help her grade papers. Yeah. Teachers, don't tell me that you haven't set up a little answer key for your four or five-year-old to help you knock out some quizzes. Right? Right? You get it? Okay. Right? But I remember the most rewarding part of their job and also the most frustrating part of their job, and it was actually centered around the same thing. Uh, it, was this, it was the ability for the students to apply what they, what they were teaching them. And so it was really heartbreaking to see a student that just never lived up to that potential or wasn't able to grasp the concepts because of whatever reason. And then I loved how exhilarating it was when they finally got it, right? When they got it and they started making great strides in their work and in their careers. It was awesome. But it almost, in every situation, it took so many types of like different teaching concepts, teaching students in different, different ways for them to get it. Because every student, and you know this too, like every student learns a little bit differently, so you have to present that information in different ways. 
And so I learned a lot, not just from watching my parents as teachers, but from my own teachers that I had growing up. And if you haven't figured out by now, I am a visual learner. Shocking. I know, right? Like, I use tons of visual aids in my message. In fact, every message series that we come up with starts on a dry, a blank dry erase board that I just write stuff on and my team work together. And we just want to visualize all that God's doing and where he might want to take us. Because I love being creative and having the scripture kind of come alive in a new way, not just for you, but, but for me too. And I'd love to say that, you know, I am groundbreaking. This is not, this, like, I'm the only one that's ever done this. But that's not true, okay? Jesus was the total master at this. He constantly was teaching. He would use visual aids and word pictures. As you read the scriptures, he talks about, like, roads and trees and lamps and fish and goats and sheep. And he even used people as, as visual aids. He'll use metaphors in his sermons to explain complex subjects. Jesus would say things like in Luke 13, he would say that Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Later on in the gospel of Mark, he's going to say the kingdom of God is like dot, dot, dot. So he's always trying to be able to connect with us in different ways. But he also would use stories and he called them parables. And Jesus was the master communicator because he was always trying to relate to the audience that he was, he was with. And parables, these stories, were his go-to sermon illustrations. These were those, those illustrations that were used to drive home factual truths, but through made-up stories, made-up scenarios. There's about 30 parables that Jesus told that was recorded in those four gospels I mentioned before. And each of them was used to explain an important spiritual message. And what's interesting to me is that I believe that Jesus knew that the world would need these stories. He knew that we would need, I would need visual aids to comprehend better all the things he's trying to teach us. And, and I think that he knew that there would be people like me, people like you, that needed just a little extra help to understand all that God was trying to teach us in this life. But, but also like me, and maybe with you, even with visual aids, we still don't get it. Like maybe you've nailed the Bible altogether. That's awesome to you, but I need some help. Like I'm still trying to figure some stuff out. So over and over and over, his followers, including his disciples, didn't even understand some of the meaning of the parables that Jesus taught. If you jump over a couple of verses in chapter of Mark chapter 4, if you look at verse 33, it says, it explains this. It says, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. So I, I really love that last part, that Jesus didn't put his disciples on blast when they didn't understand things, but instead he was patient with them. He chose to teach them because he knew this. He knew that they were going to carry this message of the kingdom of God, of his grace, of his forgiveness to the entire world, and so he wanted to make sure they understood it. And he knew for them to understand he would have to teach them. So here's what we're going to do. Chapter 4 is interesting because we're going to look at, Jesus is teaching his disciples a lot in chapter 4, and, and he does it through parables, these stories I mentioned before. Uh, example, if we look at uh, verse 1, it says, uh, after Jesus began to teach by the lake, the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat it, in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. Okay, so, so today in chapter four, we're going to look at three of Jesus's parables. 
And all of them are going to center around the same idea. And this, this idea is faith. It's faith. More specifically, how important faith is to grasping the kingdom of God that Jesus talks about. And how important that faith is, is to maintaining a connection with, with God. So let's do this. Let's look at the great teacher, Jesus, and let's see how he teaches us three, three lessons. And we're going to go through all three lessons. But as any good teacher does, you're going to see that he gives a test at the end of these lessons, okay? To his disciples, to his disciples, not to you, okay? I know you're breaking out of hives right now. I get it, okay? It's okay. But any good teacher, you have to have a test in order to understand if the, the subject stuck. I know you want a teacher that just like says, it's okay, just learn it, everybody gets an A, any life, right? That's just gonna happen. So in order to know if it actually stuck, that's why they test you. So again, before you freak out though, let's at least listen to the lesson that Jesus is gonna teach us today. And then we'll see how the disciples did, but how you and I might um, do on this test that he gives. So Mark chapter four, start in verse two with me. Let's dive in today. It says, in his, in his teachings, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So as I said before, Jesus is the master communicator. So he would have known his crowd really well. And he could see that it was a bunch of hardworking agrarian people. Might as well be speaking in the Central Valley, like just, right, he knew it. And even his disciples back in the day, they were fishermen. They were kind of rough and tough kind of guys. And so they would, he knew that this would even be able to connect with them. Which is why Jesus dives into an object lesson about seeds and soils. He's saying, you all see these fields that are around us? And I know probably some of you probably planted those seeds in those fields around us. Say, hey, let me just give you something that you can grab onto. So Jesus describes four different types of ground that the seeds could be sown onto. Talks about the path, the rocky places, some weeds, and then what he calls good soil. And each of these different soils had a different effect on the seed that was planted in them. And Jesus says only one would actually produce a crop. And it was this one soil that he said the crop was so great that it exponentially grew greater than all the rest. All because the seed fell on the right soil, which gave the best environment for that plant to grow in. Now, by now, you probably have realized that Jesus was not a professor emeritus at Jerusalem Junior College of Agriculture. Like, that wasn't what he was in, okay? He was using this parable to teach a deeper spiritual lesson and that he would have to explain to his disciples again in just a moment because later on, he would tell them what this, this meant. He says, here's what this seed really represents. It represents faith, like faith in God. And the soil then represents the types of environment that that faith could try to grow up in. But the more hardened or rocky or weedy our life, our sinful life is, the less chance that faith has to grow. 
But when we have good soil in it, in, in us, meaning like that we're open and receptive to what God wants to do in our life, that we have a desire to follow him completely by letting his word dive into us deep into our soul level. He says, Jesus says that that is when your faith begins to grow. So the first lesson that Jesus teaches us is this, is that we need to be aware of where your faith is planted. You have to realize that in order for faith to have a chance to grow, we need to be open, need to be receptive to what God wants to, us to do in our life or he wants to do in our life. We must be prepared to repent or walk away from the rocky, hardened, thorn-laden, sinful life that we all have and in, in, instead embrace the Holy Spirit's direction to lead us closer to Jesus, which is why we have to be aware of where we're planting our faith in. Is, is it where we're planning to get somewhere that promotes deep spiritual growth? Or is it just something that could easily be pulled out by the roots because it never actually grew anything? Okay, so that's lesson number one. Got to know what you're being planted in. But it's quickly followed by lesson two, with lesson two, which is found in verse 25. Yet again, Jesus back to the fields, back to the farming. Look in verse 25. It says, there it says, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed in the ground, there he is again, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So Jesus kind of picks up where he left off, and this time he's got the seed on the ground again, and now he gets even more granular with it. He describes how once the seed is, is planted in the soil, the development of that seed into a plant is, is a progression that happens. In, in addition to that, it takes time in order for that to happen. Now, you, you might know this, but spring wheat grows, grows in about 120 days, but winter wheat takes about 240 days in order for it to grow. And again, this audience would have totally got that, right? It's this whole agricultural thing. And they also know that you know when a good crop has come in. So, so this shows that, that faith also takes time to grow. Remember that seed is our faith. It takes time to grow. But that you'll ultimately know what type of faith you have once it starts to produce something. That's how you know what kind it is. So the second lesson Jesus teaches is that we need to pay attention to what your faith is producing. Pay attention to what your faith is producing. We have to be mindful of the outcome of our faith. We have to know what we're growing in order to know whether or not it's honoring God or if it's bringing us closer to him at all. So know what soil you're planting it in and also know what you're producing. But the final lesson that Jesus tells us is actually, he actually tells us through the most, I think, the most um, visually stunning visual, visual aids that he gives. Very stimulating visual aid. So jump over to verse 30. We get to read about it. It says, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So in, in Jesus' final lesson, he uses the smallest possible visual aid of all time, the mustard seed, okay? Now, you have to take my word for it. Inside this jar are little seeds that are mustard seeds, and they're about one to two millimeters long. That's how small they are, one to two millimeters. That the naked eye even has a hard time seeing them, especially if it's in your hand, but yet when a mustard seed grows into a mustard tree or a bush and it's in full bloom, it reaches an average height of between six feet and 
20 feet tall, and the branches are 20 feet wide. In the most ideal of conditions, you can find this plant to grow up to 30 feet tall, from one millimeter to 30 feet tall, but they all start with something very, very, very small. So Jesus points to this very small seed, and he relates it to our faith. Jesus loved the mustard seed. He talked a lot about it in the Gospels. But in, in, the, in Matthew chapter 17, we get a chance to read about what he says. He says, truly, I tell you, that's Jesus, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, he says, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So in both instances, Jesus is saying that even a small amount of faith can produce big things in our life. But can I tell you that it has nothing to do with how great we are because we are not great. In fact, we are sinful, sinful people. And so our faith cannot move it, but God is great, right? God is great. It is God working through our small faith that moves mountains and turns seeds into trees. That's what happens. And it all starts by putting our faith in Jesus fully, no matter how tiny it might be at the time. So this means Jesus' final lesson to us is this. Lesson number three is small faith can lead to big things. Small faith can lead to big things. He's saying that even the smallest amount of faith in a big God can cause amazing things to happen. But if we bring all three lessons together, it starts with planting the small seed of faith in the right soil so that it grows the right crop in your life. Okay, so Jesus, three lessons, right? Teaches his third lesson. Imagine Jesus being a teacher, you mean a modern day, finishing up his lesson and, and, and looking up at the clock of the classroom. As the students start to pack up their stuff and their books, they start to mentally check out. Jesus is like, okay, class, hey, the bell's about to ring. Uh, take a few minutes, check your notes. If you have any questions or forgot anything, I'm happy to, to tell you. As the students start to leave, he's like, oh, hey, don't forget, hey, test on this, but it's gonna be a pop quiz. Not gonna tell you, it's gotta be ready. Students groan, checking their Facebook. This teacher is terrible, right? You know. And they head out the door. End of lesson. Everything is done. Now it's time to let it sink in. Verse 35. Verse 35, we hear. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side, over to the other side. So after a long day of teaching, Jesus decides it's time to cross the Sea of Galilee, that's where they were at, to the other side to be able to rest. But I want you to notice something that he said. Really, really important. He says, he says, it was that day. That day. Okay, means it wasn't, you know, it wasn't weeks after Jesus spoke. It wasn't a long time removed from when he gave these parables. It was the same day, that day. So with, with all this knowledge in the disciples' minds about how great God is and what he can do with a, a little bit of faith and how God wants us to see what grows out of our faith and God wants to make sure we're putting our life in good soil because that's going to grow the biggest thing, Jesus says, all right, hey, let's just get out of here, you guys. Hey, let's hop on the boat and, and, and let's just head to the other side. Let's just kind of get away. So verse 36, it says, leaving the crowd behind... They, okay, keep in mind who they is, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. 
So they get in the boat and then they push off. But, but again, I want you to notice small details. Don't brush past small details in the Bible. I want you to notice something. I think it's important to see that there were other boats, right, with them. There was other boats with them. Now, why is that important? Why are you thinking that? Because sometimes, don't we have this perception of Jesus and his disciples as they're like this obscure ragtag group of people that are backpacking through Europe, staying in hostels and eating granola all the time? Like, isn't that what you think of them? But, but, but you have to remember, right, that many, many people, it said that the crowd, they left a crowd, many, many people were following and learning and listening from Jesus. Remember last week, we talked all about crowds. If you missed that, go back and listen. So, so, so there were so many people there, but guess what? They were not just watching Jesus. Do you know who else they were watching? The disciples. They, were, they wanted to see how the ones closest to Jesus responded to his teaching. I just wonder if there's some people out there that might be looking at your life more than me, looking at your life to see how you respond to the teachings of Jesus too. Which might just give us a new perspective as you think about these other boats, these new perspectives of what happens. And maybe, and because here's the deal, here comes the pop quiz that's gonna happen. Look at verse 37. Verse 37, we get to read, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. So as the boat starts to cross the Sea of Galilee, this massive storm hits. It comes up very, very quickly. To this day, if you were to ask any boat captain that would cross the Sea of Galilee, they would be completely, um, they, they would be so scared of these vicious storms that even today happen in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. But the Bible calls it something interesting. Did you notice that it's called, he says it was a furious squall. Squall. Now, a squall is a storm that comes up suddenly with wind speeds that increase anywhere from 18 to 20 miles an hour, just like that. And even though they might last only a couple of minutes, they are very, very scary. The word squall comes from the old Norris term. It's, it's to, to squeal is where it comes from because that's the sound people make when they're in a squall. They're squealing, right? That's what it is. So these men are squealing while Jesus is snoozing. And we read that Jesus must have had time to run to the local Target real quick before they hit the open waters because he went to the Joanna Gaines section and he got himself a cushion to be able to zonk out on. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, so this just has to blow the disciples' minds in this moment. I mean, they are freaking out because the storm comes out of nowhere, and yet Jesus, completely unaware of what's happening, he's just sleeping, drooling on a cushion somewhere. But before we move on, can, can we just be honest for a second? Isn't it true that most of the time, most of the time, when things come up in our life, they come up out of nowhere? Don't they? It reminds me of what happened to my assistant, uh, Rachel, this week. She, uh, she told the story. She was driving from, from Ripon to, to the church here, uh, and she was following a large truck on one of the, the back roads or something. And so, and so she was driving. All of a sudden, some bits of dirt and stuff just start coming down off the truck and kind of coming under a minivan. Now, when you live in the Central Valley, you know you're going to get a few dirt clods. That's just kind of how it is, you know. Like if you live somewhere else, you don't know. But this just happens. So she's like, whatever. Okay, so she turns her wipers on just to get the debris out of the way, okay? However, 
Once the wipers started, the dirt didn't move how she thought it was going to move, as she had anticipated. In fact, it began to create a very brownish-orange streak across the windshield instead. So that, coupled with the smell, caused her to realize that this was not dirt. This was cow poop. Yeah. She was being showered with cow poop, and the family minivan was now a rolling toilet paper roll going down the street, okay? But here's what I can tell you. With 100% certainty, Rachel did not purposely find the cow truck so she could have a fecal shower, okay? She did not do that, not at all. We have another employee on staff that likes that smell, so maybe she did, but not Rachel, because she's not looking for that at all, okay? Now, here's, what I, here's the th truth. I'm guessing that none of you, none of you asked for the stuff that you're going through either. Because you didn't ask God to give you hard times with your kids. You didn't ask him to give you a difficult time finding work or to have health issues or to have that pornography addiction or to have financial troubles. No, 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 you didn't ask for any of that. Yet sometimes when you're looking through the windshield of life and you hit the wipers, you realize you're in the middle of something you didn't ask for. But there you are. And just like the disciples, you're looking for Jesus. And it's in those moments when you need him the most and you think he's asleep that you do the exact same thing the disciples did. Look at verse 38. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So, so the disciples, they're like, wake him up. Now, why would they do that? Because they were freaking out, that's why. And notice really carefully, though, what they brought to Jesus as the reason why. They said, Jesus, don't you care? And notice that they also called him teacher. They were asking him the very core question of who he was. Hey, Jesus, you don't even care, which that's deep. I mean, this is Jesus. It's their friend. It's the one that they've been following for I don't know how long at this point, but, but now they drop the, Jesus, you don't even care for us. <laughs> Parents, this is like when your kids say, you don't even love me, Right? As you're driving home from a four-day trip to Disneyland where you spent money you didn't have on stuff you don't need and calories you don't need to eat, right? Can I get an amen from any parent, right? Anyone? 8.30 service, not one parent was, was, was they were like, we do it fine. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> 10 o'clock, my sinners are here. Thank you for being here. Good. Right, it's what you feel. Don't you care, Jesus? But wait a second. What, what happened to the disciples? They literally just got a, out of faith in Jesus 101 class. Where'd all the faith go? Where'd all the good soil go? Where'd all the mountain-moving faith, where'd that go? Where'd it, where'd it go, guys? Not to mention that in all the, the other boats that are around them, they're watching this whole thing taking place. What are, the, what are the other people in the boats thinking of their faith in the middle of that storm? The bottom line is that they lost it. Mustard seeds flopping all over the place, rocky soil spilling out, wilting fruit everywhere, all the fearless faith 
just got thrown out the window at even the slightest bit of adversity. And where was Jesus? He was in REM sleep, just hanging out on a cushion. Which, by the way, um, side note, did you ever wonder what Jesus dreamed about? Right? Yeah, it has nothing to do with the message at all. Just thought I'd throw it out there, right? Right? But, but, but regardless, Jesus sleeping. And you know what? If he's sleeping, do you know what that should tell them? He wasn't worried. He wasn't worried. I mean, did, didn't they hear Jesus say at one point, I, you know, Luke chapter 12, if you flip over there, Luke chapter 12, didn't they hear Jesus say, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Didn't they hear that? So why would these pillars of the faith, these disciples, those that had a front row seat to hear his sermons, the men that were handpicked by the Son of God, why were they losing their faith filled minds and you know what I ask myself that question all the time why does my faith so often melt like an ice cream cone in the central valley heat why is it that I have short-term memory when it comes to what God's done in my life over these years? Why do I brain dump all the times God has come through in perfect timing and I choose to freak out? I get so frustrated and so disappointed with myself when this happens. Maybe you can relate too. But let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus was surprised by the storm? <laughs> nope. Do you think that he had a hand in the storm? Yep. And here's why. Because here's the fresh perspective of Jesus we need to see today. That Jesus teaches us to prepare us for the storms ahead of us. He teaches us to prepare us for the storms ahead of us. As we follow Jesus, we will constantly be going to school. <laughs> you will be constantly learning about him every day. If you're breathing, you're learning. I'm just telling you right now. But at some point, that faith, all those lessons, all that we've learned has to be put to the test. I, I guarantee it. It has to. In fact, I want you to wrestle and think about this here for a second. Untested faith is not faith. Untested faith is not faith. Our faith has to be tested or it's not faith. Do you know what somebody that just practices basketball is? Somebody working out. They ain't a basketball player. You got to play in a game, right? Faith is meant to be used in the game of life. And you take it from a pastor whose faith is tested all the time. And so were the disciples. So do you, do you think they passed the test? Let's just keep reading, right? We, we keep looking at verse 39. Verse 39 says, he, Jesus, got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Yet here is what I think is so ironic and so funny at the same time. After all of Jesus' teachings about little things that make big things, having the right soil, growing the right faith, right? 
we actually get to see how little faith these men had when difficulty hit. You might even say that they failed the faith test. But here's why this is important. It's a, it's a quick reminder that the disciples of Jesus were no more spiritual than you and me. In fact, they had moments of faith fatigue too. They didn't always make all the right decisions. Read the Bible, I'm telling you. Even though they literally had Jesus as their teacher, they still didn't get it right. So as a follower of Jesus, I will always be in a state of learning and growing and messing up and needing grace and seeking forgiveness and sometimes nailing it, but oftentimes not. It is a lifelong pursuit of Jesus. But Jesus is always pursuing us. And he'll do whatever it takes for us to yield to him so that we might live the life that he's always wanted for us, both now and into eternity. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He's calling them out. Now, why would he call them out? Because Jesus is not going to rub your back and tell you, it's okay if you don't have any faith. It's okay. No, you got to have faith. You've got to have mustard seed. You got to have something. You got to have faith. As a follower of Jesus, I'm just grateful that Jesus shows patience through his parables. I love the fact when he says in verse 34 again that it says that, that when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything to them. I'm humbled that God would still use a follower of Jesus like me who screws up and messes up and often is more afraid than faithful. He still uses me. I love the fact that so often when I feel like Jesus is frustrated with my unbelief that he would probably want to throw me off the boat rather than calm the storm around me in the boat. I'm glad that he still loves me. And when I start to feel that way, I'm drawn back to Peter's words. He's one of the disciples, actually the guy that Mark is telling the words of Peter in this gospel. I'm a man that knew a thing about being impulsive and, and, and kind of lacking faith often. I'm grateful that, that he said this in 2 Peter 3, 9, that he would say that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus wants our faith to grow and not to wither under the heat of this life, but to grow, to have faith, to have what he's looking for. We have to remember that Jesus, listen, Jesus teaches us to prepare us for the storms ahead of us. So maybe this week you need to continue to think about this. I would encourage you to reread Mark 4. Look at those parables that we just talked about. There's some other good stuff that's in there we didn't get a chance to get to, but reread that. Maybe ask yourself, what, what lesson is Jesus trying to teach me right now? Ask yourself that question. And, and also, if you want to know how to get through the storms of life, notice that on that boat, it wasn't just one person in Jesus, that there was all of them there. So to get through the storms, you need other people around you. Get in a growth group. If you haven't signed up to be in a growth group yet, do that now. Get involved. Be a part of that. Grow your faith. Click on the QR code. Make that a priority. So listen, it's, I realize that this life is hard. Mine's not easy either. It's difficult. What I want you to remember is that Jesus will teach you to prepare you for the storms that's ahead of you. And I know there's people in this room that know exactly what I'm talking about. I've been through a lot, but Jesus has been so good. 
So here's what I want us to do as we close, and I don't want you to log off or take off, okay? I just want you to, just, in this moment, I, I just want you to do something for me, and, and no funny business, no nothing. I just want you to close your eyes. Everybody just close your eyes. You at home as well, just close your eyes for a moment. And here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to imagine that you're on that boat for a second. Okay, and I want you to imagine that you're on that boat, and that, that, imagine that that boat represents you going through this life. And so as you're on that boat, I want you to imagine right now what storm maybe you're in right now. Maybe it's a difficult marriage right now. Maybe it's a boss that is really, really hard to work for and that job that is really difficult to be a part of. Maybe you've got a child that's a little wayward right now. Maybe you're in the middle of an addiction right now. Maybe you just feel far from God right now. I don't, I'm not sure what it is, but I want you to imagine that storm just for a moment. You should imagine that you're on the boat. But then what I want you to do also is to, with your eyes closed, I want you to see Jesus. And I want you to see him asleep. I want you to see him asleep on that cushion. And I don't want you to see him that way because he doesn't know what you're going through or that he doesn't care. But I want you to see him and to know that if he's not worried, you don't need to be worried. That yes, in a blink of an eye, he could wake up and tell the storm to be quiet and to be still, but right now you're in the storm. But you're not alone. You're with Jesus. And one day when this life is over, he will tell this life to be quiet and to be still and that we won't ever have to worry about pain or fear or death anymore, that he will tell all of that to be still and be quiet, that those of us that love Jesus and have him as our savior, we will be able to be awakened into eternity with him. But for right now, stay in that boat. I want you to see Jesus and I want you to find comfort that if he's not worried, neither do we. Mighty God and Father, I lift this moment up to you. I ask you, Father, as we are on this boat called life, as we are going through this life, that as the storms start to come around us, whatever they might be for us individually, whatever we're wrestling with, God, we know that through you, we can get through them. And so as we see Jesus asleep, we know that he is not worried and might we also not be worried and that one day he will tell the storms to be quiet, to be still, but right now we are in the storm, but we're not alone. God, help us to have faith. Even if it's the size of a mustard seed, help it to grow to exponentially bigger so that we can see it, the fruit of that faith come to reality. Holy Spirit, would you work in our lives in ways that we didn't even anticipate and be with us as we go into a world that is so dark, but may we go with our faith and may we trust that you will teach us to prepare us for the storms ahead of us. God, we love you. We thank you that Jesus has defeated death, that he has given us hope and salvation through his, his death, his burial, resurrection, that we do, not, we do not go through this life as those with our, without a course, that we have, a, we have a, a, a good and faithful shepherd that's guiding us in all that we do. But God, help us now. 
as we go through this life to have faith and so that those around us can see it flex and grow fruit. And may we always point back to you as the reason. Jesus, we trust you. If you are not worried, we are not either. Teach us, prepare us for the storms ahead of us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Hey guys, love you. Thanks for being here today. God bless you. Have a great week. Tag your it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.